0: Straight to you from Denver, Colorado, this is Precursor the Startup Journey. We share the ins and outs of building a tech startup from inception to launch to revenue and beyond. If you've ever wondered what building a startup from scratch really looks like, you're in the right place. With full transparency and honesty, we reveal it all about Precursor on our ride from idea to exit, the wins, the lessons learned, and the unexpected twists and turns. Hello, everybody, and welcome back. This is Precursa, The Startup Journey, and today we are continuing our Entrepreneur Experience Series with Mr. Charles Von Thune. He is a serial entrepreneur, but he is also an investor, so we might throw some investor questions at him, too, this episode. He served on the board of directors of OnlySky through various rounds of funding, but he's now the CEO of that organization. He started investing as an angel in 2003, and he was the first seed investor in Remote Lock, where he is now chairman of the board. Charles is very smart, he's very savvy, and he has a very, very unique talent, which is he knows how to take someone else's vision and turn it into a real company. So without further ado, please welcome Charles.
1: I like that last thing you said. (laughs) This is like my first thing I have to tell people, I'm like kind of an entrepreneur, but like the, taking someone else's vision to make it happen is...
0: Well, That that's kind of a unique thing. Yeah, that's kind of a unique thing. So why don't you start by telling us a little bit about you and sort of how you, you know, what are you working on today and how did you get to where you are and how did you become an entrepreneur and an investor?
1: Well, I think that taking two little, <laughs> little snapshots out of my past, I joined my first technology company was a company called Decisioneering, okay. which was run by a couple of friends of mine. And... They were really ahead of their time, unfortunately, with their ideas uh, about this risk analysis product they'd created called Crystal Ball. And I think by the time I joined the company, uh, a little tired of the effort, it was 12 years into it at that point, yeah. which is a long, a long, slog, and had raised kind of a venture, a series A of the time, which was, you know, a baby seed round now. It was like, you know, total cabin was less than a million bucks, about three quarters, 750K. And so that's kind of the first time I stepped in, into a leadership position, kind of said I was totally on board with the vision, uh, it just you know, required some, some more execution and just someone, someone new to run the thing for a while and, and we got the company turned around and uh, learned a ton of really important lessons doing that, which then fast forward when the opportunity, should we say, to, to operate only Sky, uh came around, uh, you know, I had a playbook. Kind of ready to go. Um, that in some ways was not dated. Uh, of you know stepping into an enterprise that needs some new leadership and, and providing that leadership and and uh, and getting going. And that's yeah, you know, gone great. Yep. You know we've only Sky uh, it sells uh, an e-commerce platform to ski areas uh, primarily okay. with, uh, with yep. the leading in with snow school management. And okay. The of course the pandemic had kind of put the kibosh on skiing, and so which was great cover for us. Yeah. We, uh, basically, it was a time when the company really needed to retool and restaff and recapitalize, and we kind of did this under the under the uh, excuse of the pandemic, and okay. uh, have now turned around and, and, and brought forward a an organization that is that has process. I would say in a lot of different areas from. Product development, uh, support, success—we you know, kind of have a playbook for all of those areas, um, so that you know, partners, are the ski area partners, don't think this is the first time we've done it. <laughs> any, yeah. Any of these things, <laughs> and uh, and have and have a way to communicate them about the vision of the company going forward and where we're headed. So, uh, and kind of yeah. a, you know, the lesson—the lesson from the first startup turnaround was all about market focus, uh, my, okay. my tagline for the company then was dance with the one that brung you, because uh, there yeah. we were so many different ways you could go. The company reached, had some success uh, in the market, but there was like, you know, do we do Six Sigma? Do we do real options? Do we do um, uh, stochastic optimization? Just all, many, many opportunities, many markets, and so we settled down. And, and settled on a market and a product and then had a lot of success there.
0: Yeah, it's, it's a really good point because I think there's a lot of times that entrepreneurs, they try to do too much too fast or too much in general, right? And so what you're saying sounds to me like pick a market, pick a niche, get really, really good at that, and then find a way to expand. Do you think that's true?
1: Almost entirely. It's that first step is so difficult, right? Because the, you, and it's, um, because the, the only sky founder did a really good job of pivoting, right? They, they had an idea about Snow School Management. Great idea. And they said, hey, let's do it with cloud software. Great. Uh, let's do it on a subscription basis. Eh, <laughs> okay. The subscription basis <laughs> might not work because there's not enough capital in the business to sustain the company to, to where it gets enough, uh, enough of recurring revenue to, to survive. And so at that time they pivoted to a transaction fee model, and and that was a great decision. And then subsequent decisions weren't as good because it was more how do we increase our market size and how do we do more, and, and mm. there just wasn't enough capital. We didn't own the current market yet. First of all, we weren't, yeah, and, and we were going after other markets as well. And I think that uh, you know that and that's the curse of the entrepreneur personality, right? That on the one hand, like. And and I'll talk about a tool I use around this. That like, if you always are trying to do the a new thing because you think that you need to bring your genius to this new thing, at some point the market like you got to win something before you go on to do the next new thing, right? (laughs) That lesson of like, accept that you've got a big enough market and, and do it, and then do the next thing is is that's that transition from entrepreneur to operator that that has to happen where you know, recognize when it's time to stop with innovation and and start with execution yeah and um so that's in fact that's what i brought to Homeless Guy entirely by building a team that executes
0: yeah <laughs> not, uh,
1: <laughs> not not because uh, I'm, I'm the best uh, person to execute anything but the uh, uh building a team that you know can fill in all these vital uh roles that have to happen at the company
0: yeah do you think I get this question sometimes from entrepreneurs that I work with like is there a time when a company really is just done or is a company only done when the founder says it's done
1: I think a company's done when the founder says it's done okay. um, and I've terrible personal experience with this because <laughs> the uh, <laughs> and kind of relating back to this what's the right market question product you know what's product yeah. market fit yeah. the, the company I founded right after leaving decision hearing was based on stuff I'd learned while doing uh, decisioneering. And it was, it was one of these, and you know, and, and it's sad that we didn't know each other then, because you would end up, wow. wow And if <laughs> the podcast doesn't pick it up, that's you slapping me in the face a few times. Uh, because it was this, oh, I've got an idea of how I'm going to change the world, and I'm going to make the world do it my way. And yeah, very often that is not the way to success. Because um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. the world's like, meh, Ponce, you're just another guy with an idea. You know, it's like, and, yeah. and you need some more oomph behind it to, to be successful. So we started off with an idea about performance management, corporate performance management, mm-hmm. let's say, or in the general market of human capital management. And the idea was ahead of its time, but we pivoted. Because yeah. I wasn't ashamed to go to my friends and colleagues, and anyone else and say, hey, here's what I'm doing, what do you think? And you know, we had one uh, one lady, Tracy Aiello, who was a, ran a, there's two Tracy Aiello's in Denver, This was. The other Tracy, I love but She's uh, Tracy Hendricks, you know, I think, um, but she was so awesome because she's like, well, what if, you know, I showed her what we were doing, She's like, what if you could do this? And then what if you could do this? And then what if you, you know, and because that would really help my company. I was like, all right, we'll do it. So at the end of all that, four years, three, four years after we'd founded the company, we had, instead of a corporate performance management tool, a, a agency practice management tool. She ran a PR and yeah. we, this is basically and what we had in there was time tracking, budgeting, billing, reporting. It was great. Yeah. And but to the whole going back to the question, it's like, when are you done? And it's like, Yeah. I I got to a point on that where I was like, I just I quit believing in myself. I look at that with a massive regret because we were ugh, almost there, you know, and, and I see other companies in that space now that are huge, I'm like, damn it. Damn it, <laughs> we were there. You know, <laughs> um, that lesson has continued with me. It's like yeah, like, you really need to stick. One needs to stick. I mean, decision hearing was 21 years from founding to exit, um, and I wow. created a very nice exit. And I think you know, in the RBC world, the, the angel investing world, like seven to 10 years is a very real time frame from a startup to exit. Yeah, so the, there are of course stories. Uh, we started it and nine months later, we sold it because you know we just had everything yeah uh, rare. Rare. very rare uh, there was this uh a twitter post a couple days ago uh jim franklin shared it and it was about you know it's like that you know it was it the founder type and the company type and, and then four blocks and you know there's the top right block was like you know the the oh the push market and the pull market and so yeah the pull market and um and uh with a ferocious founder and i was like yeah very few of these pull, you know and SendGrid had that right this They they figured something out and the world beat a path to their door and they just had to take orders.
0: Yeah. But that's pretty rare, right? I mean, most people, there's this myth that we talk about sometimes of the the overnight success, right? Where, you know, it seems like all of a sudden a company's blowing up in the news and everybody's talking about them and they got all this money and now they're going to sell and they've got, you know, a 500 million or a billion dollar valuation. Everybody's like, wow, that happened so fast. I want to do that. And it's like, yeah, that happened over ten years. Yeah. It pre- <laughs> doesn't seem all that fast to so the people slogging along in it pre- for ten years. Failed you know?
1: companies before that to get there. Uh, exactly. Two acquisitions. Did it. So, yeah, the <laughs> overnight success is rare. And and I think yeah, I think this is you know putting my investor hat on. Investors yeah. do entrepreneurs a disservice by mm. really pushing on exit at all. You know, the t- way you exit when the time is right, you know, the, one, yeah. the derivative is zero on your growth, right? Yeah. The, uh, which, who the hell knows what that is? <laughs> uh, there's, there's a time that's right, and any undue pressure to exit before that is, is unfair and unwise. Yeah. And, and I think as seed investor, I mean, seed investors play a, a special role in getting companies going because we're early. Like really early, not earliest. Yeah. Earliest are the poor friends and family of the entrepreneurs. <laughs> my sainted mother among them, who uh, yes. put up with my stuff for a long time. That that seed investor coming in has to be patient. has to be patient. Yeah. Ideally, and and, may, and the you know the on the one hand, not as professional, maybe not as deep pocketed. So you know a lot of you know if you go to a professional investor, they're there. Oh, we're going to back you for two or three rounds or whatever.
0: You know, the yeah, the integral question may only
1: do one round or two and it be small numbers, yeah. but they just, and they do it, I think on as much giving back and, and kind of participating in the process as, oh, this is a, this is my most important asset class. I happen to believe it's a great asset class, um, Yeah, I, don't, I think that's only really part of, a small part of why people do it.
0: Gotcha. So I want to go back for a second because we talked very, very briefly about how you only Sky was not your brainchild. You were not the original founder. You were an early investor, and you saw a lot of potential in that business. And then you took over as CEO and started, you know, reworking all of the logistics and the execution and everything to make it that great company that you saw it could be. What does it take to do that, to take over someone else's vision or to make someone else's vision your own? Like, what what does that look like? Because for me, that sounds like much harder than having your own vision and, and being the champion that you have to be in a startup for your own vision, right? Like it seems harder, but I, I'm curious, how did that come about and what, what's been your experience?
1: My, my first thought that flashed in my head was the Victor Kiam commercial about Gillette. You know, I like it so much I bought the company. I think the, uh, and it's, I didn't buy the company, by the way, but uh, no. uh, certainly bought some of it. Uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, the key there is having experience with the company, as with, you know, the, the razor yeah. blades, or, you know, I was a crystal ball user. First of all, I was a friend of the founders, and I was a, a, okay. a, a, a user of the software, and a real believer to this day in the basic idea that, you know, as humans, we're organically not really wired to understand risk very well. Yeah, our fight or flight mechanism is far uh, more advanced than our our greed, I guess. Um, our <laughs> our ability to you know, seize opportunities, kind of balance risks, and and that's yeah. a key part of what we were trying to do at, uh, at Decisioneering was this kind of understanding risk and really thinking about it, right? So that kind of. Uh, early familiar familiarity with the product yeah as much as the entrepreneur right because the, the entrepreneur at some point like in the case of all this I think the entrepreneur was ready to move on yeah and uh and, and do a new thing and uh and and actually had maybe lost faith in his own thing a little bit mm. and and I stepped in at a time when literally no one else was willing to step in <laughs> we, uh wow and and certainly on the on the terms I did it, which was yeah, you know, no pay. You get to invest more, and a year yeah. it took a year over a year to kind of work out what you know my compensation package would be, um, yeah, just cause wow. you had to get all these other things sorted out first. And that kind of that's that's yeah. faith. <laughs> that's like that's yeah um, right. That's like you know being being willing to really kind of take on that risk. But and and again, it's I'm I'm not in a vacuum. That I was willing to take that risk because I had. Teammates uh, that I had brought to the company that were going to help execute. I had investors and partners of the company uh, that were right there beside me um, and, yeah. uh, and made that all that worthwhile. The, the, the attorney that I, I mentioned before we were talking, Tori, awesome, you know. Yeah. Wouldn't, wouldn't be here without her.
0: Yeah, Tori Donovan, y'all. If you're operating in the state of Colorado and you don't know her, you should.
1: <laughs> yeah, Kutak Rock, Uh uh, out of I think Omaha and Arkansas and whatever else, but yeah, uh, yeah, Tori's been amazing.
0: Yeah, they're really good at what they do, and Tori is amazing. So, what would you say, in your opinion, what's the most important, like, personality trait or characteristic someone has to have in order to be a successful entrepreneur? <sighs> That's
1: such a good question. The res- per- like the resilience piece is huge. The the part where you can get knocked down 100 times, get back up, you know, have to do do the 250 pitches, you know, suffer the, these slings and arrows uh, of yeah. uh, outrageous fortune or something, you know, just lots of, <laughs> you're going to take a lot of shots. And, you know, this is not uh, a place for someone with a fragile ego, mm. uh, I think. Uh, I mean, there's exceptions to everything, but the uh, sure and that kind of because you need the resilience in all modes right is the yeah uh, in, in, in selling mode and product development uh especially in fundraising yeah. and, and that in and that thing that ability to balance you know i'm like kind of lucky i have a product already so my fundraising process is substantially more straightforward than that for an entrepreneur they get to sell more vision, uh, and yeah. less product, but
0: but that can also be harder to sell, yeah, right? right? I mean, it's a lot easier to show a PNL with revenue and show a product with customers actually using it. And, you know, your vision is about how you grow it, but that's a lot easier than, Hey, I have this idea, invest in me. <laughs> yeah,
1: totally. Right? So and that's it. You're selling yourself, right? So, it's so very personal. Yep. And so that kind of, uh, and at the same time, there has to be some humility, you gotta walk this line of listen 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 take take the advice you need to take know what you're gonna take Know what you're gonna ignore and yep. uh, just keep iterating And I think the, yeah. the I think that the hard part of being the entrepreneur is like it might be easy to get to a few hundred K of revenue but you know then breaking through requires that transition from entrepreneur to operator like we were talking about and that's probably a second Hard part is knowing when when is the right time to make that transition, and yeah. and educate yourself for it, right? Mm. Like how do you how do you become an operator if you're an entrepreneur? A lot of entrepreneurs are like, I mean, have every background in the world, right? From yeah. un- utterly unrelated to what they're doing, a singer, yeah they, a, a lady in town who's a like was. Big deal banker, I guess, and then started a, a fitness business as an example. And I'm just okay. looking at that trajectory, going yeah, like personal passion in, in fitness, and and kind of went that way. And and good for her. And but yeah, you don't know anything about running a fitness business. You know about business right. and, and uh, whatever. You know, as an example. So this, anyway, entrepreneurs can come from anywhere. That's okay. I think just the resilience piece and the the self education piece, is gotcha. learning and learning and learning.
0: Gotcha. What do you think is the most important lesson that you've learned as an entrepreneur?
1: Uh, stick with it I would say okay the, uh, I mean, my biggest regret as an entrepreneur is, is that is the one time I didn't stick with it that was a big mistake um, uh, I had the, I had the financial I could stick with it totally yeah. I, had the, I had the ability to hang yeah. some investors we had it was working and, and what's funny about that business is we you know I stopped operating it in 9. It okay. was still generating revenue five years later. Really? Yeah. So. Wow. Oops. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and why did you stop? Did you just lose steam? Or yeah, did I mean, you feel like maybe this isn't going anywhere? Six years
1: into it at that point. And, okay. I, and, and I kind of was like, I just didn't see how I was going to get to the next level. And and some other investment opportunities popped up. I was like, oh, these seem like better ideas. And so mm-hmm. I did that instead. And I was like, Meh. Those A little bit of squirrel. worked out fine. Yeah. And, and, I'm, and, and I'm not unhappy about it, but I just like the idea that I didn't invest in myself and, and just continue to believe in my ideas really burns me now. Yeah. Because I like...
0: Do you think... Some
1: entrepreneurs have like great ideas every day. And I was like, <clears throat> yeah. that's kind of one of my only really good ideas. <laughs> so... <laughs>
0: But ideas are also a dime a dozen, right? I mean, it, it doesn't, it hardly takes anything to come up with a great idea, but it takes a lot to turn it into something right. meaningful, right. right? Yeah, which which is why, yeah, go ahead.
1: There's that timing thing, right? It's like the idea has to meet the moment, has to meet the team, and it all comes together and, and something gets created, right? And that's like, yeah. uh, so you're right. The ideas are are out there in, in abundance, uh, but there yeah. has to be there.
0: Okay, so I'm curious about something you said earlier, which which was about how investors sometimes do a disservice to the companies they're investing in by pushing for growth too quickly or pushing for an exit too quickly. You know, you've been on both sides of that equation. How has being an entrepreneur impacted how you view companies that, you know, you're, you're an angel investor in? And has it changed anything in how you interact with companies you invest in?
1: Yeah, I think the the patience piece is there as an investor all the way. Mm. You know, as I, as mm. I, as I mature, <laughs> as like, uh, I get <laughs> a lot more patient. That, you know, yeah. it takes, takes time to get everything sorted. And it has to be matched. Like investors have this anxiety, and maybe the entrepreneurs do too, that like there is that moment, right, where it's like, okay, we've got the right product, we've got the right market, we really have to execute well, all right? Yeah, and, um, yeah. Uh, and yet, you know, that in that moment, you, may, you have, as an investor, you probably have to help the entrepreneur, right? if, they, if they're interested in listening, kind of figure out, are, are we at that moment or not? You know, is it is yeah. really? Do we really have the product market fit that's going to allow us to scale uh, or not? I think the, uh, and the rest of that is like feeding back to the investor realistic expectations, right? That's the yeah. entrepreneur owes that to his cap table lenders and and, and equity alike like here's here's the reality of this business and this is what we're trying to do and you know measure me on our execution and you know this sometimes stuff happens
0: yeah hmm so you've also been on both sides of sort of the funding table you know you're raising right now for only sky but you've also been an investor in companies in the past you've raised for other companies in the past is there some advice or or some kind of insight that you would give to an entrepreneur who's like i'm really trying to raise this money and it's just not working out like am i doing something wrong or you know like what would you say to to someone who might be in that
1: situation it's, it's funny, cause like i was like oh you have to be resilient you have to try 250 times and did it da. but listen <laughs> right uh because it's yeah. like, what are you hearing because if the market you yeah. hear the same thing over and over, and it's not the trite BS you get sometimes, like, oh, well, you haven't sure. hit a certain revenue number or blah, blah, you know. But, and so let's, yeah. let's, let's condition this in terms of stage, right? So, I think, okay. you know, if we think the stage is kind of self funded and then friend, kind of friends and family or whatever. So, yep. if you're coming to me, you're, I'm like your CA1 investment, yeah. uh, RBC, <laughs> what I'm looking for is a product and mm-hmm. somebody that's not your mom that's giving you a dollar for that product. A dollar. Mm. Literally a dollar. <laughs> so <you> literally just, <laughs> someone that you don't know parted with their money for your thing. As a prototype, yeah. as a beta, as a whatever. Um, yep. I really um, feel validated uh, by that because of the times I've passed on what seemed to be just awesome investments, I was like, Yeah, but they don't have a prototype or they haven't sold the thing yet. I'm like, well, they're not a business yet, and they're still in idea. Yeah. And, and it's just a, yeah. it's a huge divide. It's it's not the chasm, but it's an important chasm. So for someone coming to me as a seed, first seed investment, have a thing, have a dollar, and the rest of the second, the second tier of that, which is nice to have, I won't go on. I think that's it. Have have a thing, have a dollar, <laughs> and be in a space I'm interested in or have any have any ability to help you with. Right, the... um, Okay, gotcha. uh, Because like I don't, you know, B to C, I can't, I can't do anything for you, I'm terrible at it.
0: Yeah, yeah, I totally get that. Okay, so I want to ask you, you know, that there's this accepted reality in the world of startups that 9 out of 10 investor-backed startups ultimately fail. We've actually heard from some people recently that they're seeing more like 1 out of 12 actually succeeds and, you know, obviously how we define success might change that metric, but how much of that is about the entrepreneurs or the ideas themselves? How much about that is investors pushing too much? Like how much of, like, what do you think about that? And how do we start to address it? Because that seems like a really poor environment for anyone to be creating anything in.
1: Why would you ever do that? That's stupid.
0: Why would you ever do that?
1: (laughs) Um, I, I mean, the numbers, I can't argue with the numbers. I don't know if that's, you know, PLS or, or what, but, yeah. but, but what gets it, what's in that number, right? The, mm. you know, is this like the five-year number maybe it's like, you know, starts or it starts to make it to an exit that creates a positive return for investors. Exactly. Right? Maybe that's, yeah, exactly, that's hard. Yeah. That's harder for sure. Yeah. I think it's misleading. I think there's a lot of stuff that gets started and everyone goes into it saying, huh, hey, this is a flyer. We'll see what happens. And the, uh, and we'll get, Grant money, or we'll get you know some a seed, you know an A, uh, an a round or whatever, and see what sure. happens. And uh, and then it doesn't work. But it was it was an experiment to begin with, right? And it's science oh. and experiments fail. Um, yeah. Go, oh, turns out this doesn't react the way we thought it'd react. <laughs> oh, but by the way, <laughs> this other thing happened while we were doing this experiment. Let's go investigate that. So another startup. Happened. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And I think that, you know, the, uh, applying, the, if you're a, uh, what would it like a seed investment organization, uh, especially like governmental or, or even sure. an RBC, you're, you're taking this massive portfolio view you and you're putting your chips behind a lot of different, uh, companies. I use mean, these craps as an analogy. I was like, stack up my chips. <laughs> the, uh, but with the idea that some of these are not going to work out, Hey, we're gonna to try to commercialize yeah. you know, the Government Lab. We've got these 10 technologies that we're gonna to try to commercialize. And you know, they may not be commercializable, but so you know, there's somebody's trying to and and uh the government, to their credit, is trying to trying to take that tech and move it forward, and it may or may not work out. And a lot of those are just those become walking dead. I have to like my I was holding my arms out here right. you can see my rabbit ears. <laughs> um you know i think there's this expression that yeah if you don't create this exit then you're walking dead but like walking dead companies of which i have operated yeah a couple, uh, are not the end yeah. of the world because people get paid and services get performed and value gets created it may not be driving to some high growth high dollar exit for investors and that's too bad but it's some positive return to the economy uh and to people participating so that's not bad so it's like actual failures i mean failure is great Let's celebrate you know, yeah. Failure failures. Good. <laughs> let's uh, let's applaud people who take the plunge, even if it doesn't work out, because this is how the world gets better. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say keep experimenting. You know, one one out of okay. One out of I think it's you know, on the venture world, it's like one out of ten succeed, two out of ten are like man, and seven are walking dead or, or fail.
0: Yeah. That's okay.
1: Huh.
0: That is such an interesting perspective. Like looking at it as an experiment, right? yeah that's so fascinating i've never thought of it that way i love that i'm here to help influenced in
1: part by um i might add a, a conversation with my uh, cousin at nrealm who is is running um i mean basically they're they're backing lots and lots of companies uh going forward. I don't know exactly yeah if it's an incubator accelerator something yeah uh but you know that's that's their that is their portfolio that's their job to kind of Push a lot of chips forward and, and see what happens, right? <laughs> and and provide a, a provide a useful environment where uh, success happens, but yeah, but is not guaranteed, and nor should it be.
0: Interesting, fascinating. Okay, so I have another statistic for you. And I want you to tell me what you think about it. Okay, forty two percent of startups fail because no one wants what they're building. Oh yeah,
1: <laughs> <laughs> totally. I mean, this is the. This is sometimes called the the other the other the, the poor usage or the the unfair usage of science experiment. It's a, uh, it, when someone has a technology they don't have a use for it or a ready market yeah. it, or it's not really a product yeah. yet. It's called a science project, yeah. right? And yeah. The, oh, hey, look at this cool thing we can do. Let's build it. Somebody will want it. It's like no. Uh, it really it really that's you know that's kind of the lesson from my first startup from, uh, not my first startup, I guess, from positive it was, we built a whole lot of stuff before we ever put anything in front of a customer, you know, and the, the lesson, Eric Ries and minimum viable product and all that stuff was not quite a thing yet. And so, but there were plenty of people telling us, you know, Hey, you should try to sell this thing before you actually build it. Um, yeah, and building was more expensive. And I was thinking about it, like driving in. I was like, uh, I talked to somebody <laughs> yesterday or somebody this week who had a, a colo of, of some of their tech. I was like, wow. <laughs> What's the last time <laughs> I did that? I was like, you just like put something up on Amazon or Google Cloud, and and off you go. Yep. The infrastructure costs are de minimis. And I was like, you know, we had to buy yeah. servers and co-locate and, yeah, there's yep. a lot less of the supporting. In fact, when we did sales pitches, the sales pitches we had to explain what cloud software was. So that's that's kinda how early it was. Wow. But that's uh, cool. But the point the point is really not the cloud part, but the sell the thing, right? And like yeah. Yeah, back to the dollar thing, right? Uh, if you can't get yeah. a dollar for this thing before you build it, eh, maybe you should iterate a bit more before you start spending, right? It's like as, when you look at yeah, yeah, any yeah construction project be it software or a, a container terminal you can save yep. a ton of money by putting more into the preliminary engineering because <laughs> mm. you have to fix stuff later when you're pouring concrete or writing code it's uh, much harder
0: it's a lot harder yeah so it's a good it's a good point that you make which is the work that you do before you start building and this is a really hard message for a lot of entrepreneurs to hear these days because they're like But it's so relatively cheap. I can spin up an Amazon server. You know, my cousin's, you know, brother-in-law's sister's nephew writes mobile apps. And so why not? Right. But, uh, you know, and I'm curious what your thoughts are about this. But what I often find with people is it doesn't really just stop there. Before they know it, they've put a lot of money into a lot of different areas that you don't realize start to become important very quickly when you're that invested already, right? Yeah. It is a
1: the, the entrepreneur's most important asset is their time. Uh, mm. especially when you're a team of two or three or, or team of one. Don't do it in team of one, by the way. That's maybe the first thing yeah. You not yeah. Like the the, the you know, <laughs> nobody does it alone. Yeah. But uh, uh, but putting that aside, so your time is this precious, precious asset. And you know, if you take a marginal minute and spend it on, hey, should this pixel be over here or over there when we do this interface versus yeah. another call to another prospect to say, hey, we think the world could really use this idea of behavioral reinforcement. And they're like, yeah. no, that's completely wrong. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Dan, I don't know if it was Dan or Scott King at ReadyTalk. I got an intro to them back in the early aughts at Pawsware, and uh, I pitched positive wear to them. They're running a I can't remember how big ReadyTalk was, and hundreds of people, I think. And uh, and I think it was he's like, you're totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and and he pointed me to this book. And it was kinda of crushing because we built a lot of software and I really believed it. Yeah. And 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 you know basically there's the Aubrey Daniels school of uh, Skinnerian uh, psychology and you using positive reinforcement to get what you want, hence positive wear sure and then there's what uh, Alfie Cohn and punished by rewards right that in fact mm. and, and the drive comes out later it's like oh it turns out people are really motivated a lot more by intrinsically and um, you know just kind of setting up this uh, uh, pellet feeder system is not is not gonna work uh, mm. so thanks thanks Dan <laughs> <laughs> Which was part of the pivot for, for Postware to move to uh, kind of this project management, agency management space. So, yeah, yeah, there was marginal minutes with the Dan Kings of the world telling me, hey, you know, you're, you're wrong. It's like, oh, God, that's awkward. Um, yeah. Are, like, really important um, and way more important than, than the code. Because the rest of it, like, you know, it is true. You can really reduce the cost of, of, of a prototype now. But, like, but you really, but with, what uh, was it, um. Uh, use it, I can't remember, it started, like Envision is one, I, I, I Envision, with, and yep. also
0: Invision, that it's yep. kind
1: of prototyping tools, you really can't prototype with nothing, yep. right, create, we used to call it PowerPoint yep. where, just you can kind of do a, yeah. a click through demo that says, what if it did this, and customers yep. go, no, yeah, yay or nay, right, and you do a lot of that,
0: Right. Uh,
1: and, right. And before you find out um, you know, yeah. what you should be building.
0: Yeah. How many times do you have to hear no before you, or hear, hey, you don't have anything not from a customer? You know, obviously, if you're hearing that all the time from a customer, that's a big clue that you don't have anything. Right. But how often do you hear that from an investor and you still know there's something here and maybe you're just not communicating the vision or like or is it if you're just consistently hearing no, you've really got to step back and take a look like what are, what are your thoughts about that?
1: I'm sure I have the right answer for that one.
0: Um, <laughs> Is there a right answer? I
1: don't even well, know. Well, there, there's a, uh, it, it kind of goes back to this entrepreneur's belief in themselves and yeah. in their idea and uh, and how hard they're going to work to change the world, mm. right? And yeah. I'm not a change the entire world person. You know, I'll change yeah. the state. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I don't have that kind of, Hard-headedness that you know. I mean, the extreme examples are, are Elon Musk, I suppose. Is like, eh, ours. yeah, Mars. i was like, wow, yeah, that's an extreme, extreme vision. You know, that's really yeah. out there as visions you know, yeah. And, uh, yeah. And and you know, he's had the the oomph of, of, of the strength of his personality to make that uh, close to a, close to a reality now. Um, so yeah. you know, that's probably being honest with yourself about like how much of a world changer are you? It's like, do you get up every morning and look at yourself and say, Charles, I'm going to change the world today. Yeah. Do it, Or are you like, man, you know, I get bounced <laughs> around by the currents. And, uh, you know, my son is a mule. And I was telling him just yesterday, he's like, dude, you're always going to do great stuff because you won't do anything the world tells you to do. You know, they've got to do it your way, yeah. your way. And I was like, yeah, it's going to be hard, but you're going to do something cool.
0: Yep. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Good. All right. So I got, I got, I got a couple of like questions for you, right? Like about you. So what job, other than the one that you do now, other than your own, would you most like to try?
1: Job. Um. Well, you know, I don't really think in terms of jobs. Oh, <laughs> there's that. <laughs> um, okay. Great. I like that. <laughs> um. What job would I? like to try, well, I'll tell you my first two reactions to that, and that's so I don't sit here and have the, like a beach ball uh, for a while. Um, <laughs> is uh, the first two things that came to mind was something political. Ah. And uh, you know, I'm really, I'm very interested in uh, public policy. Uh, oh, and I've fascinating. Been an active donor and and, and board member of uh, Plant Parent of the Rocky Mountains. That's like that. Cause is near and dear to me, but the um, generally the area of, of public policy, probably, I don't think I'm a good politician, but, uh, <laughs> but, you know, so, but a policy, some kind of policy role would be super interesting. I got a friend of mine's working in uh, Europe right now uh, with the U.S. military doing super cool stuff cool. on the policy side. I was like, oh, I'm jealous. That's cool. Yeah, so that's a job area. Uh,
0: How come you never pursued that?
1: Well, I do. My my Twitter handle is Ugly American, so I do it every day. (laughs) I love it. I Uh, love it. Well, I mean, I I think back on my time uh, on the board of Planned Parenthood, and I was the board chair for two years, and I basically took off work for those two years. uh, Because it was – I I didn't have to do it the way I did it, but I kind of went all in on the the board chair uh, role, and it was side by side with the – uh, CEO of Vicki Coward um, on a lot of stuff and, uh, made a lot of, a lot of progress for the cause in those days.
0: That's really cool. I love that. I love that answer. Okay. What's one question you wish I had asked you and how would you have answered it?
1: So I listened to Scott Galloway a lot, uh-huh. NYU, uh, a Stern professor of marketing, outspoken, uh, the dog <laughs> <Good for laughs> laugh. but one of his theses really one of the two or three things I can repeat all the time is that um, your uh, the most important decision you make as a person is partner and mm. um, you know, pick pick the right partner or you know have the right Partner uh, descend upon you, and then in, in, in a shaft of light, and everything works out. Um, how it happens um, is uh, yeah. is important. So, like you know, I think the question is like, what role does like your family play in entrepreneurship and investing and in anything, right? So, and I think like my wife's put up with a lot, <laughs> and, uh, and and God bless her. Uh, she's a, a great partner and I wouldn't be here without her. So I think that's uh, so a guy. I think you're always right.
0: I love that. That's a great answer. She'll love that too. <laughs> All right. So last question, what are do you have like three podcasts or books or resources of some kind that either someone who is an entrepreneur or wants to be an entrepreneur or maybe someone who's been thinking about investing in someone that they know, you know, maybe getting into angel investing or, or that kind of thing. Any resources you'd recommend for
1: people? So I have a few go to resources all the time. Um, <clears throat> I think for hiring, um, which is maybe the most important thing you do as an executive. To, yeah, uh, you know, build that team and, and uh, to, for success. I use a tool called the Colby, which is okay. a uh, assessment of working style. Uh, okay. And I mostly use it to understand who the person is as we're talking. You know, once we've talked to them, partially yeah. sometimes it'll smoke out. Uh, yeah, Colby doesn't line up with how you interviewed, so you're you know you're kind of doing doing a bamboozle, or it does yeah. tell us who the person is and they. Everybody that takes it gets great insight from it. it says, okay, so when we work with you, this is where you'll need support. This is where you're going to provide leadership and good, good to know. Nobody, yeah. nobody fails at Colby, uh, pretty much. Um, <laughs> uh, but uh, so that's, a, that's a huge tool. Um, okay. a, uh, uh, I still go back to art of the start 20 plus years mm-hmm. later as a great yep. guide to pitching and uh, the, the outlines of the pitch. Um, you can always yeah. make it better, you know, tell a better story, da, da, da but like here's bang, 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 here's 10 slides you need and why, and uh, yeah. uh, that's uh, crucial. Um, as an investor, um, you know, if I, to reducing it to a couple of things. One is, if I had to read a book, you know, a, a Warren Buffett biography talking about his uh, investment philosophy, which, oh, I love
0: that. which kind of, and it, it backs,
1: um, I don't remember this guy's name, I mean, I'll, I'll send it to you later. Uh, there was a, a, a guy I met through a lunch club who is now a professor of finance in Hong Kong. And his basic idea was you know, you, as, a, as a retail investor, you can't beat the market. All right. So, yeah. so the idea is invest. You know, his basic philosophy is like, it's kind of like John Bogle, invest in uh, uh, low cost index or uh, ETFs and buy the entire market. And the only, way you, yeah. the only time you beat the market is when you have extra information, you know, when it's right. asymmetrical, and that happens, uh, like in angel investing, when you know I'm in, uh. I, I know more about the company than the market does yet, and if I'm patient and it all bears out, I get a, a above average return. Uh, that okay. is borne out. I have a, I'm very pleased with my record as an investor. Um, I think that's true that you invest in things you know, which is the Warren Buffett thing. Invest in what you know, yep, yep. and uh, invest a lot, and uh, yeah. uh, and get things happen. And so it's kind yeah. of how I end up at Onless guy, where it's B two B software, skiing, turnaround, yep. all stuff I can spell, yep. and uh, things go well. So, so read a Buffett. The other thing is an angel investor. Um, shout out to uh, Rockies Venture Club. Is the most I ever learn as an investor is sitting in an investor forum after. Six presentations after all these pitches have gone mm. by, because the conversations that happen in that room—just investors—are uh, are kind, usually.
0: Yeah,
1: almost always. Yeah. Um, first of all, you know, very because most of the people in that room have been entrepreneurs, have have yep. done it all, and, and know what it's yep. like. All right, so they're not there to like just beat up the, the entrepreneur's yeah. not in the room, but they're not there to beat up the entrepreneur or the actor or whatever. Like, yeah. Do candid appraisal of, of the idea of the entrepreneur, of the team, of whatever yep. timing, whatever yep. it is, and that yep. like listening to that stuff uh, is and it's is is awesome. It's like that's it's a graduate class and in, in uh, angel investing. The rest of the stuff that RBC has is really good too. Like just kind of like. You know how does a term sheet work and what's the cap table? And, you know, <laughs> The that you know again the old rvc didn't do that and you know the first investments i made were were reckless <laughs> as, uh, as, a, as a result and uh i've gotcha. uh, gotten a lot better since yeah
0: for those who don't know rocky's venture club is the oldest venture club in the country they've been around since 1980 or 81, something like that. And they are based here in Denver and the team and like all the investors are amazing people. The team that runs that company are amazing people. The guy who's I don't even know what Peter's title is, but managing director or whatever he, I mean, he just, he's got great vision and it comes out in how they treat entrepreneurs and how they invest and how active they are in the community. And and I would echo Charles, it's a great organization. If you're thinking about being an investor or that's something that's interesting, it's a great organization to get involved with, to give you a really good understanding of what does that really mean and how do I do that in a way that won't make you crazy, <laughs> Because you certainly can go crazy as as an investor investing in other people's companies and then you know that patience thing right that that can be really hard and it is a lot easier when you've got other people who are who are there with you who know what they're doing they can kind of talk you off the ledge every now and
1: then <laughs> all, well, right, for a all right can I, I, as a specific example and i'm like f- fingers crossed I have to like get close to my the uh, rbc has been a uh, a lead investor in pharmajet which is a, okay. a needleless uh, injection yep. technology for vaccines and whatever you need to inject yep. it. Yep. So I don't know if you, I, it's mostly vaccines. And yeah. I invested in it first in 2017. And yeah. I think the disservice PharmaJet was doing to the community at the time was saying, "Oh, we're going to go IPO in 18 months." In, in right. That's, That's the message I got. They had almost no revenue as of yeah. in, in terms of being a medical device equipment. They had very little, very little revenue and. Yeah. Um, and so maybe they shouldn't have been saying that, but yeah. whatever, because uh, they're, I don't know, they're yeah. like on series H or something of, of their funder. Yeah. See, I've, I've kind of lost track, but the more important yeah. point is they've stuck with it. Right. So now it's four years later and and, and Zika was like the big thing at the time in 2017, 2018 yep. is like, oh, well, and, and they, and the stuff worked with Zika, but yeah, whatever didn't, uh, the, the, it didn't cause the, uh, the, uh, stars to align for pharmacy at that time. but yeah. now of course, Covid's come along, and the need to vaccinate literally the entire world. Yeah, you know nothing better for that than a, a needleless injector. And yep. so they've, you know, just been plugging away, Heather and, and yep. company, and, and Ron, and, uh, and just kind of plugging and plugging. And now I think they're um, they're doing much better, and uh, have some legit revenue and uh, legit uh, uses of uh, technology and, and um, COVID vaccinations. and yeah so they that's there, awesome whatever yeah yeah right.
0: again it's that resilience yeah
1: it was well, the actual point was RVC talked me off the ledge there I was like calm down <laughs> i was like
0: <laughs> 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 just because just because they're crazy entrepreneurs telling you something doesn't mean it's true yeah. like, no, yeah. no, just
1: the uh yeah just patience yeah very warranted in that case
0: yeah that's awesome Charles, thank you so very much for taking the time, for being such a, a generous guest with our audience. If anybody would have questions or they wanted to get in touch with you or follow you, what's the best way for them to do that?
1: LinkedIn, Twitter. Perfect. Uh, yep. Probably two, two good places. Perfect. E-mail. Perfect.
0: So we'll, we'll make sure in the show notes that we include your LinkedIn. We'll also include your Twitter handle so that people can follow you. And uh, we very much appreciate you being here with us today. Well, I appreciate the opportunity. So thank you. I
1: really you. appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Yeah, thank you. All right, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this episode. As always, happy entrepreneuring, and I will see y'all next time. Thank you for listening to this episode of Precursa, The Startup Journey. If you have an idea for a startup and you want to explore the proven process of turning your idea into a viable business, check us out at Precursa.com. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. Until next time.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode. If you or your company are looking to jump into the podcast world, now is the time. The Plug Agency is here to connect you to the full power of podcasting. You just record and leave the rest to us. The people are listening and want to hear from you. theplug-agency.com That's theplug-agency.com. Click the link in the episode description for an exclusive offer.